0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Sista Talk podcast. Recovering from COVID-19, your host here, James Azar. Hope you are ready. I am taking down COVID-19, um, but that's about the only thing I can take down at this point is COVID. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, make sure you do so now. By subscribing, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe, hit the bell button. If you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, just make sure you subscribe right now. I have a very, very special guest on the show, Kurt John, CISO over at Siemens USA, Kurt. James. Good morning. For good, me. Afternoon. Good, after- good afternoon. Good uh, afternoon. It is afternoon. You know, it COVID is. has has me has my equilibrium a little bit <laughs> m- m- missing things. I'm, I'm not waking up as early as I'm used to. So, uh, at this point, it should be good afternoon. It is a good afternoon. Welcome to it the is. show. How's Thank it going? Thank you very
1: much. Good man.
0: Good. How are you doing? You know, I am. I I can't complain. Um, five days of COVID and. <laughs> I feel ready to take on the world. Although I'm sure after like I'm finished with our podcast, I'll probably go sleep for like three hours because <laughs> I'll be so fatigued. <laughs> like this disease, man, it it, it it sucks away at the life force of your energy. And I think that's the worst part of COVID.
1: It probably is. I think introverts have it a little bit easier because we're fine being at home. But even for introverts, I think it gets old. Yeah. Well, so you, you do want to go out.
0: Well, see, it's, it's not even about going out. If you're a person who has life happiness, which you seem to do, cause whenever I talk to you, you're always smiling. Like, you, <laughs> you, you know, like you're, you're always smiling. So one yeah. of the things I've always, uh, one of the things about me is I'm a high energy person right mm, and i can true. go for i can go for like 19 20 hours i can go for 19 20 hours like no questions asked just give me an espresso machine i'm set <laughs> i can work right? right i work i have a work ethic that's that i'm proud of my dad taught me my work ethic i'm proud of my work ethic um and covid takes away at your joys of yourself su- like yesterday mm-hmm. like In all honesty, I couldn't get out of bed. I I didn't get out of bed until like 1 p.m.
1: It is tougher now. I would agree with that. Without the impetus to go out and a schedule to maintain, um, it gets a little bit tougher. One thing I did, I started like a rigorous schedule at home. I'd get up at 5 a.m. Then, of course, having a one-year-old and three-year-old means I'm forced to get up at 5. But let's just say right. I choose to get up at 5. And then, you know, coffee at 5.30 and sit at my desk by 7. So I try to keep some semblance of normalcy because when COVID first happened, I recognized that I was all over the place. I was wake, you know, in in bed by or only getting out of bed um, by about nine a.m. So it was it was it was rough.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think most people, though, working from home, the, the the change in routine that I predominantly see people really talk about in terms of from COVID, isn't from um, uh, waking up earlier or later. Mm-hmm. it's the home workout routine it's that that wellness routine um you know i tell i always tell people i'm just like you know if 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 you look at just covid in general of what mm-hmm. it what it did with the lockdowns i mean here in georgia i got to tell you like everything is open restaurants are open bars are open um outdoor seating is everywhere I mean, every, every restaurant, I think, now has a huge white tent outside where people can sit if they don't want to sit inside, yep. they're socially distanced inside. Um, it feels like some level of normal here, mm-hmm. but I know that when I was in New York, that was a few weeks ago, before I got sick. I'm not blaming New York for getting sick, but I'm just saying, yeah. awful coincidence. Um, um, it was very different. Everything in New York was still locked down, Mm places weren't really open, you know, the kind of just, I don't know, it felt awkward.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how each state kind of tackles the problem differently.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, because there's no clear global playbook for this Mm -hmm. disease, right? And we'll talk about playbooks because as security professionals, we're all about playbooks, right? We have a playbook for everything. And, and, and this is one of those where there's no real playbook for it because no one's ever gone through it before. This is different from anything else done before. Um, and, and it's also a different, a different period of time, but, you know, beyond COVID Kurt, let's kind of get into a little bit about you share with our audience, how, how you got started in cyber. What was your path? What was your journey? How'd you, how'd you end up where you are today?
1: I'll tell you what, I always had an interest in computers and computer science. Um, and my first, the earliest memory I have of security was I had a couple of friends that used to come visit. And I think the statute of limitations has expired on this, so I should be good. <laughs> and every time they come visit, they'd have these block of phone numbers. And so, you know, you dial the phone numbers and then you get access to, you know, basically dial up and you get access to the Internet. And I, I always wondered why I'm not paying anything or at that time my parents aren't paying anything. Why is it that I can just get free access to the Internet? And that sort of curiosity is what gu- guided my interest, my continued interest, not just in, in computer science, but also in the, the security of computers
0: so you kind of that's a really interesting story kind of like the uh hacking of dsl lines right of like dial-up lines right of like aol's discs (laughs) i mean i think everyone remembers the aol disc that you would get in the mail that's right right with the free trial the 30-day free trial
1: that's exactly right
0: (laughs) um that that's 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 classic um, did you study for cyber? did you go to did you go to the university for it how How did you kind of gain the the technical know-hows?
1: Funny enough, I had an interest in law, and I actually so my dad's a lawyer and I actually used to read law books for fun and up until about fifteen maybe fourteen fifteen, I was on the fence. either I was gonna go do law or I was gonna do computer science. um I just couldn't pass up computer science. so I actually got a degree in computer science. My first professional venture into um, security came in about 2010 when I got the Certified Ethical Hacker Certificate, then I became a pen tester, and from there, fairly technical pen testing, security advising uh, services with the companies I worked with and for. And then uh, eventually, over time, transitioned from the technical pen testing stuff over to 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 the more business uh, end of things of security. So that's an awesome
0: journey. I think that's a great journey for a lot of people because a lot of people who listen to the podcast are you know pen testers, red teamers, purple teamers, blue teamers, and a lot of times they're being told that it's a dead end, right? That mm-hmm. if you, if you're kind of you you get stuck in the whole, Pen test world, and it's very hard to get out of it. How did you get yeah. out of it? What was your secret sauce?
1: I'll tell you what, man. I always had an interest in um, the business, okay. right? So, so I think that's what's key. You always want to be interested, understand, contextualize what you're finding uh, for the business. So it's not just about, hey, I found these 15 vulnerabilities for this server um, that has this, you know, network address or IP address. It's more so, hey, I found these 15 things, but and you take a step back, when I look at the value chain of the business and what the business uses to go to market and what brings in, let's say 80% of the revenue, this server falls outside of that. So these 15 vulnerabilities, they're really critical for this server, yes. But when I, when you look at it in the context of the larger business, um, we have some options. We don't need to go spend a bunch of money to fix them. Maybe it's firewalling that server off. Maybe it's fixing seven of the 15 vulnerabilities. You know, you start to explore different options because you've contextualized what you found. And and so and so to answer your question, that's that sort of thinking is what continually helped me speak eye to eye to eye with um the business leaders and to further better understand the business and then in return they can better understand what I was doing.
0: Well, I mean if you started as a certified ethical hacker in two thousand and ten, ten years later, you're a CISO now. That yeah. is that is a journey and it's a beautiful journey. I think Thank it's you. one that um, people in our industry need to hear more of because a lot of people start as certified ethical hackers and feel like they're going to get bogged down in that role for 10 years. And you in mm-hmm. 10 years have not only bogged, didn't bog bogged down in that role, today you lead a, a large fortune company security program. So talk a little bit about kind of um, how being a certified ethical hacker has helped you as a CISO.
1: Oh man, uh, the, the most, you know, the quickest thing I can think of is Uh, understanding some of the challenges that the team faces um, in terms of interacting with the business. Because at the end of the day, um, another thing to keep in mind is everything that we're doing in this function in cybersecurity is to enable the business. It's to manage risks associated with their go-to-market strategies and the technologies that they use to go to market and to provide value to customers. Um, So you can think of it sort of of understanding some of the technical challenges that the team might be facing, and then how to translate that into something that the business can understand and embrace. Um, That's one thing. And two, also to provide a path through mentoring and and designing a really strong um, program for my technical folks to give them a path to um, expand their horizons. And like you said, not just get stuck in a technical dead end. And I probably shouldn't call it that because I think it's absolutely fine if someone truly loves it and they want to spend their career sort of, you know, uh, having fun exploring right. uh, what the, the very ends of what pen testing can, can give you. And some people just really like that type of problem solving. So let's not call it a dead end so much as as people who want to grow their career past that point.
0: Well, yes, and and just to kind of better um be- to better explain what I meant by a dead end. Um and and I do apologize for for naming that and th- and thank you for bringing that to my attention. I think the the one thing I talk about when I mean a dead end in certified ethical hacking is there are people in security who lo- who who j- come into security like you, a passion, mm-hmm. a love. And it's not that you didn't love pen testing, it's, you loved pen testing so much, you wanted to know how everything else worked. Yes. Right? And so That's your true. passion and your curiosity drove you further down the road.
1: However, That's
0: right. However, and we, we do have a lot of people who come into security for the basis right now of money. And we'll talk a little bit now in just a moment about that. And so... With those specific folks who are coming into it because of money, who go and get a certified ethical hacking, and in their mind, they're building their career steps, very similar to how, you know, a junior consultant or an account, someone who goes and works for one of the big four, right? I come in as a junior associate. I bill... 2000 hours after I bill 2000 hours I'm no longer a junior I'm now a regular guy and and then after that I need to bill 10000 hours and be really really smart and and you know whatever the case may be in order to move ahead. And I think a lot of times in security programs we as CISOs fail to show that vision. So people yeah. come in and that's yeah. why we have a lot of turnover. In a, in, in the red teams and in the pen testing, uh, uh, roles is simply because we lack to give them that vision of how they can get beyond just being a pen tester.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. If from that context, you're, you're absolutely correct. And then I, I think what you end up seeing, particularly with people because of that, um I, I don't know, maybe it's an issue in the industry. I'm not 100% sure. But because of that lack of vision or pathway, what ends up happening is people keep hopping from job to job doing the same pen testing, but whoever's paying the most, right? right
0: or whoever's I- telling them that... You know, you do this really good for nine months. We're going to make you team lead, and then you build your own yeah. team. And yeah. you know, you can have sub teams within your own. And and they're building this. Uh, I want to call it a fake illusion for this person. And yeah. at the end of the day, they're you know, you, we see them. You and I see them when we're hiring for pen testers. You know, they've jumped four jobs in four years. Yeah. Yeah. They're very demotivated. They have the passion, but they're demotivated cuz they've been burned out by the
1: process. Yes. Yeah, no, completely agree.
0: You know, t- let's talk a little bit about hiring and, yeah. and kind of building teams. So, what are some of your skills?
1: What's what's the X factors of skills or qualities you look for when you're hiring? Oh my goodness. So, the first is passion, goes without saying. Um the second is is this person a team player? right? Um, The third is, are are they authentic? Uh, Can they be honest with themselves and with their teammates? Um, The fourth that I try to look for as well is, are they a good lateral thinker? And then nine times out of 10, particularly with pen testing, I would say that that's that's the case, right? Just by nature of pen testing and exploring issues and trying to figure out all the different pathways that um, a potential vulnerability can take you. Um, And then... Um, a big thing for me is I just want to understand who that person is, right? The technical skill set's fine. I would much rather have someone who has average skill set, super passionate, very authentic and true to themselves and their teammates uh, than to have someone who is incredibly skilled, best of the best, uh, but are dishonest um, and not authentic,
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point talking about authenticity, which is, does someone's character and energy fit my team?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: Like, can you fit the, you know, the the flow, the the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the kind of atmosphere that we want to have? Because everyone, you know, I look at cybersecurity kind of like football, right? Everyone has a job. And everyone's job is equally important. If one person messes on his job, it affects everyone else on the team, mm-hmm. not just them. And yeah. so um, um, you got to be able to be just beyond a team player. Also authentic that when you do make a mistake, you're able to come in and apologize for it and then work with everyone to rectify it.
1: Agreed. And then the final thing I would say, which is really, really important for me now and always has been and will be is diversity. Right. And not just your diversity across your traditional means, um, such as age, race, et cetera, et cetera, but also cognitive diversity, which to be honest, um, the, the, the physical aspects of an individual tend to contribute to their cognitive diversity as well. Right. So those typically go hand in hand, but a diverse team is super important. It's just a necessity because the more diverse your team is, um, you know, studies show that that's a really, uh, core factor for creativity and so to be in a technical team that's that's on the the cutting edge of facing adversaries who are deploying new and different uh ttps right tools tactics and and, and techniques um uh, in order to 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 try to gain access to our systems we also need a team that's 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 creative in their problem solving approaches
0: yeah that's Diversity of thought is so overlooked in security. Mm -hmm. It's so overlooked. It's very interesting because uh, I think when you and I were talking, I don't know if I told you this, but this year I've promised to not, I I made myself a commitment that I'm not going to speak at any cyber events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? I'm just like, I'm done speaking to to, to the echo chamber, the divert, the idea of security folks speaking to other security folks while great, is is only one aspect of how we need to evangelize our roles and security within an organization right so i've been speaking to a lot of ceo conferences cfo conferences um i've been doing you know my fair share of spoken at like three different marketing conferences and i i constantly talk about different aspects of security Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting now the questions that I get from a security crowd is very, very different from the questions I get from non security folks. Yeah. But then the questions I get from non security folks also lets me know the maturity and their involvement with their security people within their organization. So I've been asked about we get a lot of phishing emails and I'm like, you guys don't have like basic spam blockers or anything like that and they go you know, we have an IT guy, and I'm like, "Well, IT isn't security." Well, they go, well, "That's all we have," and I'm like, "Well, you know, let, let's have a conversation of why you need why IT isn't security." And you know, I, I go and explaining the difference between what IT is and what security is, and yes, one's of the other, but security isn't just IT; security's everything.
1: Correct. That is correct. Yeah.
0: Securities Agreed. business processes. It's it's understanding how you know your opponents are going to come at your organizations, what TTPs you're, they're using, like as as you stated, and then how you can really build build out of that. So when you look at kind of leadership from your end of leading your mm-hmm. team, um, what skills do you think are necessary for CISOs in order to be extremely, not, not let's say not extremely successful, but in order to be
1: successful in leading their teams, what skills should a CIO exemplify? I think passion, I'll take that from a team member and the leader definitely has to have that, a passion for the job, as well as compassion, right? It is a very stressful um, uh, profession. As you know, we're still behind the eight ball, right? Pre-COVID, we expected 3.5 million open positions um, in 21. That's probably going to be more post-COVID. And so um, people are stretched thin, they're working hard trying to keep the various, you know, critical infrastructures and organizations secure. So compassion is really important. Um, I think also um, I have this saying that I have in my signature, and I put it on practically every slide that, that the team develops, which is to break boxes and build teams. I think leaders need to, by example, show that it is imperative that we work across various functions not just the usual suspects such as it uh, which of course it and security need to be joined at the hip uh, but also other functions such as uh, supply chain legal and compliance um you know hr etc etc what people need to realize is that technology is so democratized within every aspect of our lives from the office all the way through to, um, our personal lives, entertainment, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, that cybersecurity is practically no function or you know, uh, or a topic that cybersecurity doesn't touch. So, in an office environment, at the at the at the office, leader cybersecurity leaders need to be very closely aligned with not just the business, who is the closest to the customer, but also other supporting functions to make sure that we're well coordinated to try to make sure the stuff stays secure.
0: Yeah, you bring up a um, a, a really interesting point here. You talked a little bit. And and I kind of want to go to two things you touched on. One is the three and a half million jobs. So I think you, I, I disagree with you there. And mm-hmm. I don't think any one of us is right or wrong in this. I just, I feel like thanks to COVID, mm-hmm. more and more people are have started automating more and more security functions. I actually feel like the job market mm-hmm. is the the three and a half million jobs, which is a number that I don't know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I hear it. Mm-hmm. And I see it on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I'm like, can someone please give me, like, where does this number come from? Like, the Bureau of Statistics, like, jobs? No, it doesn't come from there because I've looked at it, right? I don't know where this number comes from outside of maybe someone who's trying to sell something um, (laughs) or trying to get people to click on an article so that they get traffic,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? Create outrage, clickbait. Get people to talk about it and people all people remember predominantly is a headline. I -hmm. feel like when you look at the jobs that are needed within security today, it's the jobs where our workforce would be in a in a decade old department within a company, Mm -hmm. which is mid managers. So we have a lot of people coming on as certified ethical hackers. We have the people who started early on in this now that are CISOs or senior vice presidents. But what we're missing is different department managers across security. So we're missing someone who would have five years experience in certified ethical hacker that also exemplifies leadership roles that can manage a team. But that's been the same with the nursing shortage and the medical shortage that we had in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So in the '70s we had we had, we had a huge. Uh, I don't know if people remember this. I mean, it was before I was born, um, and I think you and I are the same age, Kurt. So this was before either one of us was born, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. But they had a they had a medical uh, shortage of people in the U.S. Like they didn't have enough doctors. They didn't have enough nurses, and the response was like, "We need to get more people in nursing and more people in medical school." Right? But it takes years to train a nurse. It takes years to train a doctor. It's like twelve or fifteen years for someone to become a doctor. So you're not gonna solve it. So how'd they solve it was through automation. Right? Like medical providers came through and started automating different processes so that way the skilled talent that you had could go on to bigger and better things. So you can train them to be the next level of leaders. And I feel like security's at that junction right now. And I feel like COVID sped that up by about three years. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what, I, so I do agree with, so the 3.5 million number, if memory serves correct, you might want to try a survey either by ISC squared or by Verizon or AT&T. One of the three. Um, either, that's all where,
0: three trying to sell something. <laughs>
1: <Surf's>, internet, <laughs> security. <laughs> so, so I knew they do have <laughs> offerings, but at least that's the, that's the source. So that's the first. The second I do agree with you on is, and I, I've said this before, it's very interesting that I think with AI, so to use your term automation, as well as machine learning, you are going to see a lot more sophisticated things being done at the lower and middle tiers of cyber which is fantastic, right? Because to your point, similar with the nursing crisis you described, it does free people up to work on more complex, um, more impactful topics. So in other words, instead of someone trying to reconcile a vulnerability scan with a list of servers that's done by a robot somewhere, and that person can then take the output, sort of human readable output from that and make contextual decisions. Again, going back to that value chain discussion I talked about, um, what's the top one or two value chains in the servers that support that value chain? Are any of those the ones with the severe vulnerabilities? let's fix those and let's think about the rest. So I definitely agree with you there regardless of the of the of the of the number of open positions they may be in cyber, um, which I still think there will be a lot and I'll tell you why. But regardless of the number of open positions, it's going to be fascinating to see how people grow and learn and stretch when they're supported by this automation. Um, with regards to uh, what people are going to be thinking about when um, all this gets implemented, right? Um, I think one of the biggest things that leaders need to do, so such as you and I, is start to think of career paths and and trainings that our people need to go to, to help them make that transition, right? And it's also important for us to connect with educational institutions so that we can provide that feedback loop that says, look, based on all the trends I'm seeing in my own organization or the organizations I am associated with, I can tell you now within three years, I don't need your traditional cybersecurity degree. I need a cybersecurity degree that has concentrations in this. Because right. that's what I'm going to be looking for, so that's also very critical to connect with educational institutions.
0: I I totally agree with everything you just said. Which is, um, on on Friday, I I was speaking to a uh, a veteran of our armed services who was mm-hmm. making the move into security, and in our conversation, he goes, "Well, I'm doing my security plus, and I'm also doing a project management while I'm doing security plus." And I'm like, "Brilliant! That's great. That shows." One, you have the basics of security, but number two, because you come with a project management cert, you're able to lead projects. You're, you're not looked at as, okay, here's another analyst in my sock, but here's a guy who I can probably task to lead projects. Here's a guy who has a, has a, a a better way of thinking, uh, 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 more problem solving skills than just a traditional person who, who's a sock analyst. And I yeah. think that's that's very that's really important. I, I often, you know, when I speak to people who want to break into cyber, um, especially veterans, I go, listen, you already have a set of skills, but go and get a specific set of professional skills because you come from the military, you come from a specific set of discipline. Get your mm-hmm. get your PMP, get your project management cert. Right, on top of a few security certs, and you can lead different projects, because we as CISOs, we're always looking for project managers to lead a specific deployment or yeah. a specific implementation, and you right. want someone who you know who's going to be task oriented, who isn't going to cut any corners, and the military gives us those qualities because I know you come with those qualities because you're a veteran, yeah right? You can't cut corners, you can't do nineteen pushups and say you did twenty in the military, yeah. Yeah. you just you can't. You're, you're doing 20 push-ups, period. Agreed. Totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about security. Um, yeah. We're having such a fun conversation. Like, <laughs> Agreed. So, so for those listening midway through right now, folks, just uh, make sure if you haven't subscribed, do so right now um, if you're loving this conversation. Um, so what aspect of security do you spend the most time on?
1: Going back to what I mentioned about AI doing more the middle and the lower and middle tiers, I find myself spending most of my time on the intersection of cyber, the economy, geopolitics, and policy. Uh, And that's because, look, uh, a server is a server... You have certain processes in place, such as vulnerability management, and you gotta stay on top of that. Don't get me wrong. Um, because regardless of what you do elsewhere, if you can't keep what you're supposed to be focused on secure, then you're, are having or as secure as possible, right? Possible because secure is very relative. It's not binary. Um, as secure as possible, then everything else you're doing is for not. But having said that, once you're covering the basics, um, We're at a very interesting point where as critical infrastructure gets more connected, as we all drive, uh, you know, towards this sort of increased digitalization, particularly caused by COVID, um, as manufacturers, organizations, everyone makes that shift, uh, and everything gets connected with 5g coming down the pike with edge computing, um, being the next wave, everything's going to be hyper-connected. Um, and I think, We need to do more when it comes to policy, understanding the geopolitical implications of 5G and how it and when it's deployed and how it's used, understanding the business models that then get spun up new, completely new business models that we didn't, we haven't thought of before. Uh, then we need to, as, as CISOs be thinking, uh, sort of anticipating what type of challenges that might bring it was difficult to tease out for example when when DARPA created the internet to exchange files in the 80s, no one thought that you can sit at home as a youtuber and make millions of dollars a year yeah, never leaving your house Dream. so I think <laughs> <laughs> if only <laughs> um, so so with that with you know and I think 5G, edge computing, cloud computing, the synergies of those AI, machine learning, um, all that together is going to be the next wave of just unthinkable business models and ways to interact with each other in the economy that we haven't thought about. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about that and, and how to enable our business to navigate that.
0: Yeah, you know, I love where you spend your time in because that's, I feel like when I talk to people about geopolitics and cyber, they look at me and they go, what's that got to do with everything? And I was like, it has everything to do with everything. I go, you have to, I think people have to kind of comprehend this whole um, um, uh, TikTok, Huawei ban is a beginning of, of something that, regardless of political party in this country, has been driven by the DOD and the Department of Homeland Security for quite some time Mm -hmm. and is is an issue of serious concern. And regardless of what happens in November, that policy is not changing. I think I, I look at most folks and I go, even corporations that want to do business in China are now looking at how do you segment and completely separate your business and what part of your business can you do in China and what part of your business can you do elsewhere because you realize there's different parts of the world that don't want to have anything to do with.
1: Even uh, outside of that, I think a lot of countries, as they come online, I, could, I would call it that in terms of the tech economy, um, they're also going to try to replicate certain policies, which they see the more successful companies are doing. Right. So whether that is data privacy, such as the GDPR, whether that is data localization laws. Um, all these different and data privacy, all these different aspects of data security, confidentiality, availability is what multinational corporations like Siemens need to navigate and spending time thinking about that and understanding, uh, sort of the e- uh, economic and policy direction of certain countries would help us make sure that we create an environment where we can safely and effectively do business and and be ready to to contribute to the global economy right because that's the name of the game at this point, especially for a company like Siemens, what we're trying to ensure is that. We have the technology and the people in place to help the world solve the, you know, its most complex problems by using less resources. That's all we're trying to do. I shouldn't right. even say all. Because that's fairly complex. <laughs> that's, that's, but, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's the crux of what we're trying to do, man. And 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 everything else in terms of geopolitics and policy and how we interact and so on is all towards. Making sure that siemens and 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 I would argue should be the case for practically every CISO, is positioned in order to ensure they can solve those complex problems
0: right there's it's it's very interesting. I gave a talk on geopolitics and cyber um, literally a month and a half ago um, to to a group of, uh, of 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 diplomats and and uh, multinational executives. And one of the discussion points was around policy. And is there a need for a global cyber policy? And so, you know, should there be some sort of global standard to cybersecurity? And it was very interesting to kind of see the um, the, the difference in thought process of of different folks based on, you know, diplomats who kind of, you know people who come from a defense background like myself i'm like i don't want anyone writing common rules to cyber Mm -hmm. right i don't want there to be a rule of the land um when it comes to cyber because that could hinder my ability to work yes it, it does expose me but at the same time it also hinders my ability to work yeah right um and and you know it's 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 very interesting to kind of see that debate back and forth between corporations who want to see something and, and i think most of us who 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 represent a company want to see some sort of un, one policy cuz that would help us in terms of understanding our global footprint our gl- global challenges what nations can we work with in what ways you, it, it's, it's like data breach notification right the u.s 50 states 50 different laws
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know and 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 uh, i think in the absence of a global enforceable policy i'm quite uh, happy with some major corporations, you know, sort of standing up and raising their hand and saying, "Hey, look, there's no global standard or, or, or law, so let's do our best to facilitate cyber norms." So I'm a fan of cyber norms, so they're not absolutely required, and companies can sign on and then an accomplish. It's sort of like the best of both worlds, right? You you sign on, so such as the Charter of Trust, of which Siemens was a, a founding member. You sign on, uh, and you, you, you commit to adhering to principles such as security by default, education, engaging with the government, um, you know, uh, supply chain, all these different topics. But obviously it's not, um, some, it's not required. And so cyber norms, I think, are filling the, the, the gap quite well. Um, and it will be interesting to see as we continue, because again, as that new economy driven by 5G, Gets um, comes online, I think we will see more of an appetite for some type of global baseline. So there's nothing comprehensive that details each step that you have to do, but some rules of engagement that I think would help ensure that everyone's um, starting from the same um, point, such as secure products and the way we go about doing that. And I think it's a, it's a really good opportunity for Governments as well as companies to leverage existing standards, right? Such as in, the, in, in, in the manufacturing side, IEC 62443, ISO 27000 series, you know, NIST has been fantastic. Happy to have contributed to, for example, the NIST cybersecurity framework. I think that's fantastic. So there, there are some opportunities for us there.
0: Yeah, I think you you bring up a lot of really good points around the different frameworks that exist out there. We've obviously seen DOD put a huge emphasis on CMMC. I mean, tremendous emphasis on CMMC. It's it's great to see DOD really kind of, you know, take that and, and really just hammer it down and let people know, like, if you're not, we won't work with you. And, and, and there's repercussions to you not being ready for CMMC. Um, but beyond just the audit aspect of, of, you know, uh, the frameworks or, or kind of like the policy roles of those different frameworks, there's no one framework that would work simultaneously for different organizations. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I work with several organizations and I don't have a paper cutter. This isn't like an accountant, right? Or a CTO. Um, I think virtual sysos, that's a very difficult job because no, organ, no one organization is identical to the other. They're mm-hmm. just not. And like that's you said, true. a server may be a server. And a server functionality may be a server functionality, but then the apps and the different things that go about, um, along with that, your DevOps process, your AppSec, your, everything is, is different from one place to the other. So it's very difficult to create a standard when everything is so different.
1: Does that make yeah. sense? It does. Totally makes sense. I, I often say organizations are like people and people are like fingerprints. Each one's different. Right. Yeah. And so, so there should be, like I mentioned, that sort of common approach and baseline. So, for example, um, like you said, DevSecOps is great and should be implemented. The way you go about it, up to you. Security by default. I mean, shipping your products with security enabled should happen, but the way you go about it should be up to you. So agreeing on those broad swaths while leaving, uh, the under. Organization. of course providing guidance that the organization can reference because not everyone's fortunate to have a CISO like us Brian <laughs> really, kidding uh, but leaving that you know, providing guidance so that so that people can reference it then you're able to meet the broader sort of um, security topic without over prescribing exactly how you do it
0: yeah you, you bring up such a great point Um, such a great point there, which is, you know, how do you, you know, you got to make the standard, the standard, but you got to make the standard so loose to where the underlines of it could be a little different. Like, Hey, make sure to turn this on now, how you turn it on and, and, and what it blocks out and what it allows it, you know, what it allows through are two very, very different things. And that's kind of maybe up to the user discretion. We see that a lot in the medical field by the way. I mean we yeah. talk we talk a lot about a standard but I think when covid broke out um I, I was waiting for the unethical att- opponents to start attacking healthcare facilities. We saw that happen. That's why um Ohad Zeidenberg and his group founded the CTI League which is doing amazing Amazing work! I think it's like now, two thousand researchers, a hundred countries, helping mm-hmm. healthcare facilities for free recover from um, and prevent different cyber incidents that are happening within their organization. Yeah. And I was at a healthcare um, event last year, and we were talking. Um, I was in a roundtable event with uh, chief uh, medical security officers and uh, medical vendors. Medical device vendors, and the conversation around the table was a business conversation. Everyone could agree we all need medical device security. Yeah. Know what? But the business discussion came through to where the medical device vendors were like, "Well, if we do security, it's going to increase our cost. Increase our cost could mean less hospitals are able to afford this this device, and so." We're like, hey, we'll give it to the hospital and let them do it. But then the hospital goes, well, if the the manufacturer didn't seem necessary to put a lot of security controls, why should we do it as a hospital? Yeah, and so it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very very interesting. We we've you know as Siemens have had to navigate some of that, um but but our commitment uh, remains the same, right? If if At the end of the day, I I get the increased cost, but at the end of the day, critical infrastructures such as healthcare, um, um, the energy sector, transportation, if our equipment can be used to disrupt our way of life, the the repercussions, the mid to long term repercussions of that are just so devastating. Correct. Right? I mean, so, we saw
0: that in Germany a few weeks ago, where that last exactly. week where that patient out of Cologne died because the hospital she was supposed to go to was was under a ransomware attack and they couldn't take her.
1: Yeah. And the way I see it, man, we, we, you just can't compromise when it comes to security in those in those areas. See, yeah.
0: I, I'm a firm believer in, in kind of taking what you said earlier, which is, hey, you know, you guys were the founders of the Charter of Trust and, and you guys are committed to. You know, to the cyber norms of working with government. And this is where I feel like the manufacturer and the hospital need to go to the government and say, hey, you need to, if you consider healthcare to be critical infrastructure, subsidize security costs as part of a product purchase, right? Yeah. So so allow the hospital to either write it off, get a tax credit for it, uh, give the hospitals grants to deal with security issues that, you know, are joint enjoy- um go to, you know, universities, you know, partner a university with a with a a, a a medical facility or a group of medical facilities and a few manufacturers to create some sort of circle or cycle that creates security within the healthcare industry. I think COVID is highlighting that. Because I'm telling you, for the last week uh, when I've done the practitioner brief, every every day I'm seeing another story of another hospital locked down under ransomware, yeah. another facility. I think uh, a place that was working on a vaccine just got hit with a ransomware attack that, that is now delaying clinical trials for the vaccine. I mean, right. that, that kind of stuff is just...
1: It is. It is. And 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 the biggest thing we can think of, I think if you start to think of it, as I mentioned before it's protecting our way of life, then the investment necessary, I think, can be put in context. Uh, One of the things, for example, that we do because we understand how critical manufacturing is to, to our way of life here in the U.S., is we partner, for example, with an organization called Manufacturing Times Digital. It's this organization out of Chicago where um, it's quasi-government, funded by the government as well, but we also are members and many other companies are members as well. And the mission of this organization is to provide uh, cost-effective digital tools and cybersecurity tools for manufacturers, particularly the small and medium-sized manufacturers, because we fully understand that these, we call them SMM, small and medium-sized manufacturers, we fully understand that they will not always have the expertise or funding to be able to do what organizations such as yours and mine are doing in terms of hiring a CISO and a full team. And so uh, I think if other uh, um verticals can also look into that type of collaborative environment, a shared space where uh, cost effective solutions to both digitalization, and cybersecurity can be researched effectively, pragmatically. I think that's also another avenue for helping us to um, secure our our critical infrastructure future. That's,
0: um, that's well said. Yeah, well articulated. I I think Our critical infrastructure is beyond um, worrisome at this point. Um, Not that those companies don't care. I think a lot of people always look at critical and they go, well, why aren't they doing it? Well, one, they're heavily regulated by the government, right? Number two, their profit margins are heavily regulated by the government. And Mm -hmm. so their investment is also very... um, 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 very planned out um, within how they invest in upgrading the critical infrastructure and improving the critical infrastructure and securing it and it's not easy when I was in Israel last year last summer with uh, 10 other CISOs um, that I took to Israel we visited Israel's electric company and they get 13,200,000 cyber attacks every 20 minutes wow and so he showed us the number thirteen million two hundred, And I said, Is that how much electricity you guys use? Like, you know, and he goes, No, that's the amount of cyber attacks we have every 20 minutes. And the uh, CISO there, the guy by the name of Yossi Schenk, um, mm-hmm. Yossi, a very, very, um, very, very smart guy. Um, he's um, it's just one of the smartest cyber minds I've met. We sat in, in, in a room with him for an hour, and I didn't want. I didn't want the time to end. Um, I really enjoyed um my my time with him, but he was talking about the fact that critical infrastructure is, is is under so much threat and that threat has no no norms, right? You can't do cyber norms. Um you can't do cyber norms to to that at all. Um that's just impossible. Um simply because What ends up happening with critical infrastructure is the people who are attacking you don't have norms. They don't have Mm -hmm. a standard. They're looking to disrupt um, civilians' life. They're looking to create uh, mistrust in the local government to achieve their ultimate goal. Um, And so you you kind of have to take the fact that they're not only dealing with making sure that your lights stay on, they also have to deal with the fact that they get political pressure because politicians mm-hmm. don't can't have any electrical outages within the system. Um, they're considered critical infrastructure because they're critical to the, to the safety of the nation. And it was very fascinating to see the kind of um, sweet spot security sat in for, for Israel's electric company and then how they approached it and how when they couldn't find anyone outside to solve the problems they had they just started doing it on their own like they literally built their own cyber um, um, vendor within the Israeli electric company Hmm. because they built their own tools because they were like we couldn't find partners that would help us solve the problems we had so our own people started building tools to combat the stuff that we were dealing with
1: Mm. Interesting. You know, one thing that's really also interesting, so I I agree with you there, critical infrastructure now in particular, really, and I think that's a big effort of what the US government is trying to do as well. Um, And this is dating back for several years now, which is to try to um, uh, avoid any type of huge impact to our critical infrastructure, which I can get behind. I'd like my daughters to have reliable electricity and, and so on going forward. Um, but one thing that is very interesting, and, and I, I sometimes ask people whether or not, and I, the answer is clear, but it's always interesting to hear people's uh, perspective, is should cloud be included in, cl- in in the definition of critical infrastructure?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, if if it's not, then you're leaving it wide open. I mean, the government has made it clear that cloud is critical infrastructure. When they created a .gov with an AWS, they created FedRAMP, <laughs> yeah. right? When they yeah. created FedRAMP, they've pretty much said, this is critical, and we're going to set a standard. Yeah. If it wasn't it- critical, they wouldn't create a standard.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And it's going to be interesting to see how we all as a community, the government, private sector educational institutions, the, the hyperscalers of the world, um, because I think that they provide an outstanding service. They The hyperscalers uh, are have, have, in a lot of ways, lowered the barrier to entry into the economy, right? Again, whether you're talking about YouTube or staying online and a few clicks, you can incorporate a company and do some low-code application building and launch an app. So those are all fantastic. So it's be interesting to see how we all as a community navigate um, the protection of, of 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 these new additions to critical infrastructure. I find it particularly fascinating to be alive at a time when critical the definition of critical infrastructure is of course water treatment facilities, power stations, um, you know, transportation sort of grids. But then also be here when cloud computing can be included in the definition of that. It's such a it's such a fascinating time to be alive. It's the most fascinating time to be alive.
0: I wouldn't want to be alive in any other time. <laughs> We're like having such a fun conversation. So I want to kind of ask you, before we go into the CISA Insight round, one last question. What challenges do you see security practitioners really overcoming now to where it's no longer a challenge? And what do you think we need to improve on?
1: I think... The challenge that I see us overcoming is probably a combination of collaboration amongst the community, and and not just CISO to CISO because I think we always all we always look for an opportunity to connect and talk about problems, but just the broader community. I think particularly over the last eighteen to to twenty four months, as cybersecurity has become like this super important mainstay, not just in the news but just on the CEO's desk, it's been fascinating to see how the community has rallied around that. And there's a lot of collaboration. I mean, we always used to have these conferences, but there was sort of like in the dark room way back when, but now you have CISO or you have cybersecurity conferences where CEOs are attending. So to see the community be be built out around that, I think is fantastic. Um, Where I think we need to do some more work are around our people. Uh, And it goes back to what we spoke about earlier Given the technology that's that's on the horizon, given the investments in AI machine learning, given in the, the fantastic startups that we're seeing and how they're able to, um, with just a platform, deploy an incredible amount of value, how do we take that in the broader context of our strategy for our businesses, as well as the strategy for our personnel, and ensure that we Create a path for those personnel, but then also again going back to the schools, how do we create an environment that's ready to accept these people coming out of college, universities, and and give them that path and and the vision of that future? Because I think the technology, the, a Cecil like you and I making a decision and saying, hey, that technology is transformational. I think it's going to be fantastic. Here's $500,000, please deploy it in my network and automatically my, you know, let's say malware goes from 70% down to like 12. That type of technology is always going to be there. Well, what happens to after that's deployed to the people who are supposed to be adding value and taking those KPIs uh, and taking the output from those technologies and orchestrating and building a story for the business around that? So I think that's something we as professionals should not lose sight of and should um, very intentionally build these career pathways for our folks.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's having the the kind of people who are able to understand business and s- statistics and data, and are able to mine that data. Someone who's really good at that, uh, who I've had on the show is uh, Kosar Kenning. She does. Uh, she's over at ETrade, um, but she does an amazing job at that. She builds. She takes data. And she's able to create from that data the kind of analytics and statistics and give a CISO a complete picture
1: of Isn't what's that happening.
0: Something? Um, and, and to me, that those are the kind of people who, you know, you got to almost pull them out of fraud, right? Like, <laughs> like you got to find the people who, who, who've been doing this stuff at fraud, yeah. because they're the kind of people who are going to come in with that critical eye. And they're going to look at data and they're going to look at any variation in the data and any anomalies and really dig deep and investigate it. And those kind of people does like you you either have that instinct. It's like a cop instinct, right? It's it like is. it's it's. some people just have normal like if they don't have that instinct, though, they can't do that job.
1: You know, I was reading an article. that instinct. I was reading an article earlier this morning where it said, and I'll try to remember, about 90%, um, you know, you're always wary of statistics, but it sounds about right. About 90% of the data generated by businesses is unused, right? So and it sounds intuitively and based on my experience, it sounds right. And I think these data interrogators or if there are platforms to help interrogate data and start to use that 90%, um, it's going to be fascinating to see what that closing that feedback loop of data generation, uh, business modeling and going to market and closing that feedback loop is going to be uh, tremendous for, for businesses.
0: Absolutely. And for cyber yes it will be let's get into our cisso fun round right now okay Folks, we're going to give you an inside look into kurt and what he's working on right now so here we go kurt you're on the hot seat welcome to my graveyard um and one buzzword you'd want to bury in my graveyard <laughs> uh maybe zero trust zero trust yeah So it's not the first time zero trust gets buried in our graveyard um, a lot of people have buried zero trust. Why do you want to bury zero trust?
1: Conceptually, it makes sense, right? Um, for those that are hopefully uh, listening and trying to get into a career in cyber, zero trust basically is a collection of technologies, a methodology that, that just basically continuously checks who's accessing what, in order to ensure that they actually do have uh, the right permissions to access a certain set of data. That's the simplest term. And, and conceptually, it makes sense. However, my issue is that a lot of vendors, a lot of people who don't know, just throw the word around like, oh, yeah, we just got to implement zero trust or install zero trust. Yeah, well, well, what does that mean? What are you trying to do? So I, I suppose I'm growing a little bit weary of the term just being used as though, oh, I need to install a new door lock. It's, it's not the same. It's not.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. What do you think? So you kind of mentioned this during the episode, but what's one technology that'll change the way we do cyber?
1: Oh my gosh, AI, machine learning. Easy, easy. I am waiting. So I think one of two things is going to happen. Now, if I'm right uh in the next, let's say three to five to maybe seven years, then I think I'll stop being a CISO and play the stock market. Let's see. <laughs> 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 but but um I think... In the next, let's say within the next seven years, you're going to see this hyper consolidation or verticalization of cybersecurity uh, and star- startups are going to get snapped up. You're going to see a lot of different aspects of cyber because cyber is large, um, falling under either very few players through acquisition, M&A, or... Potentially, um, you're going to see someone, a startup, come up with s- such an innovative platform that can be that can sit as sort of middleware on top of various cyber solutions that uh, customers are going to be want to use that 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 platform. And the reason is because as cyber becomes more advanced, it becomes more complex. Not necessarily to us, but to, to the people that need to pay to implement it. And so I think the sooner that hyper consolidation or M&A happens or the sooner someone layers some type of sophisticated platform on top of all these technologies and has starts, start to have a conversation about value, uh, versus technology, you're going to see customers just snap that up. And so, um, with that happening, I think with AI and and that's going to be driven by AI and machine learning, I think we're going to see a drastic change in cyber. We're going to have to start to speak about outcome based stuff when it comes to cyber. And not so much technology. It's not about no one's going to care about what which technology you install to reduce your your spam count. They're going to care about getting from A to B. And what's the quickest and most effective way to get there? So AI and machine learning is going to change the, 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 the landscape for us on several different points. So, excellent. What's the last book you read? Um, I, I, I tend to read about three or four books at the same time. Let's see. I'll pick um, The Innovator's Dilemma, I think by Clayton Christensen i had i had read it before but now with covid and and um, a lot of movement in cloud and 5g on the horizon i think that book has still has some very interesting insights into um how to think about innovation some of the challenges that innovators um might encounter and how to navigate it it's it's really fascinating brilliant last movie you saw um the last movie i saw was interstellar it's one of my favorites
0: interstellar um, no, no. is that with um with uh what's her name sandra bullock or julia no
1: Roberts? so so no not I, I know which movie you're speaking about but this one's with matthew mcconaughey i think matt damon was in there um as well as anne hathaway i think it's the movie where you know they end up in space and it ends strange right because he ends up in this bookshelf world and it's like hyperspace and time travel it talks about time dilution and gravity causing Time dilution, which by the way is one of my passions. I actually am like an armchair physicist, which is nowhere near a real physicist, mind you, but I have a, a heavy fascination with quantum computing, um, just the quantum world, gravity, um, special and general relativity, uh, the whole nine.
0: You would, um, you know what, if you get a chance, go and listen to my podcast with Chris Lindbergh, he's okay. the chief innovation officer for the CDC. Okay, and we talked about we spent an hour and forty five minutes on a Friday afternoon before COVID talking about quantum.
1: Oh, that's cool! I'm gonna go check it out. That should be um,
0: awesome. He um, he spoke of quantum in ways we, we got into the kind of details that very few people could hang. Hey, like I've had people say, "Hey, that was a good episode for about forty five minutes," but
1: and then you lost me.
0: <laughs> then you lost me, but we were geeking out. Uh um, oh, over that's silicone in awesome. and, and quantum so, computing and so that means of, you
1: were talking about like um post quantum cryptography, which is another passion of mine yep, that's yep, really, yep. really cool. That's exactly uh, what we
0: spoke about. So yep. okay. so post quantum cryptography, the kind of stuff like that, um you should definitely um Go and listen to, if you, if you, if you really like quantum computing, Chris Lindbergh is probably one of the most brilliant minds in our country when it comes to oh, I might computer. have to just
1: go reach out to him just cause, but I'm gonna, li- I'm gonna go listen to it, uh, this evening, evening listening with a glass of scotch. And then, what's your favorite I'll, scotch? Um, I, a couple of different ones. I actually like McKellen 18. Okay. We have the same taste. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, and then, um, um, Glenn LeVay, of course, that's pretty good. Uh, and then what else? Um, I think those two is what I typically do. Actually, my wife got me into Mezcal, right? Uh-huh. And so Casamigos is my latest and greatest. So sometimes I uh, I might just sip some Casamigos while I listen to the podcast this afternoon.
0: So, um, you know, being being Jewish, I always laugh at this, but I go, we start Saturday by drinking. <laughs> um, um, we, we, we bring Friday in by drinking and then we spend pretty much all us, you know, we, 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 on Saturday during the, uh, half Torah portion, we typically always <laughs> sneak into the kitchen before COVID, right before COVID, when, when, when Shul, when Shul was, was normal Shul, where you didn't have to wear masks and socially distance from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 20 men would run into the kitchen and and take a, at 11am on a saturday morning and start drinking take bourbon or, yeah <laughs> and typically clen <laughs> levitt was was our was our drink of choice cuz you know you'd bring a big handle a one liter bottle he'd probably finish it between the 20 men by the time we have to go back <laughs> that's <is> brilliant <laughs> um so it, it's funny whenever people say glenn livin i was like you don't know how glenn livin makes its money it's not from you man it's from saturday shuls in the jewish community that is the scotch of choice what's your favorite music
1: kurt oh <sighs> I I want to say I like everything, but if I had to choose, it's it's two. I'm going to choose reggae. Specifically, actually, let's say dance hall, which most people don't know what dance hall is. As a matter of fact, even on Apple Music, reggae is the catch-all for most Caribbean music. But I like, let's say, Caribbean music. And then next is actually going to be sort of alternative, okay. alternative rock.
0: Alter- I don't see you as an alternative rock guy, but that's really cool. That's why I love asking these questions. Because yeah. you learn something about someone, you go, Oh, he's an alternative rock kind of guy. So alternative rock, like what?
1: So, um, 30 seconds to Mars, Muse. Okay. Um, actually, I even like Coldplay, which is a little on the softer side of alternative. Um, 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 phew the name of this group is slipping me but i need to mention it um because my daughters love it i played it for them on a whim and they just rock out when it's bath time um i'll come back to it It, it's 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 a it's a group that that does it mixes alternative with folk music um but i'll i'll remember it in a second
0: all right, yeah. So I'll give you a really f- interesting Coldplay story. A few years Mumford, ago, and Mumford, Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons. Sons. There you Mumford go. Mumford and All Sons right. are awesome. Go ahead. I'll tell you a, an interesting Coldplay story. Um, I'm not a big Coldplay guy, but my wife loves, loves Coldplay. Yeah. Um, so a few years ago, they were on tour here, and they were in MetLife in New York. So I got mm-hmm. us um, um, a seven rows from the stage, um, VIP passes to go see Coldplay in MetLife Stadium in New York. And I was like, hey, let's go do a weekend, and and I took her to the show. Um, I will say this. It was the most expensive Uber ride of my life, leaving <laughs> MetLife back to Midtown. It was a, pricing. It was $600 <laughs> to what? go from MetLife Stadium to the Hyatt on 42nd and Lex. $600. It took us two and a half hours because of traffic at the tunnel.
1: Oh, Wow. Wow. It was crazy.
0: Like, I didn't even care at that point with the Uber. (laughs) I was just like, get me out, man. I'll, like, we're just so tired. (laughs) Uh, Like, we're just, I didn't even care. But the best part of that concert to me, um, because I wasn't a big fan, was they brought out Michael J. Fox and they did a set. Really? Michael J. Fox playing all of the back to future tunes. No way. Yeah, I have it on video. Um, and it is the most cherished memory of that concert it was nothing else. It was a great show. And they put on a great live show. They're a great live band. Like, if you like them, and you want to take your wife or your kids to go see a really good live show, go to Coldplay. Like, Coldplay. They don't disappoint.
1: I have not seen them live. It's on my wish list. And I'm such a a sci-fi nerd that I would have just been in heaven. I was. That was the
0: only time I screamed at that concert. I was like, oh, my God, it's Michael J. Fox. And my wife's looking at me. She's like, what? And I was like, that's Michael J. Fox. I was like, that's Michael J. Fox. (laughs) It was the only time I held my phone up like everyone else, and I was like, all right, let's do this. Awesome. (laughs) Final question of the interview, Um, Kurt. What's one thing you took away from the COVID-19
1: crisis? Family. 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 If I had to pick a second, I would say resilience, right? You got to be there for your family. But the first is family. I think before COVID, particularly with this job and as demanding as it can be, um, travel was about, you know, quite a lot, as you could imagine. Um, And having being home and with things being so uncertain, I really got a brand new appreciation for the importance of family, of slowing down and focusing on your loved ones. Cause this time, man, you can't, you can't get it back. No, you can't. You can't. So, so that was the biggest realization for me, which should have been obvious, but you know, sometimes you get wrapped up in work and you're trying to build a life for your kids and and your family. And and sometimes that becomes more important than them, but it should never be the case. So that was my biggest takeaway.
0: I, I, I love the fact that you brought family in to end this podcast because I feel like looking behind your head, you have four rules. Family first. Yes. Respect all. Yes. Break boxes. Build teams. You've mentioned that a few times, and have fun. Yeah. So, yes. So it's it's you started with respect all. We had a great, awesome conversation. You spoke about breaking boxes and building teams. We've been having fun. I think you've been smiling <laughs> I, I the whole time. So, I too. can't tell. And, and, and we've ended with family, and yes. so a full circle yes. to the back yeah. image of, of of your background, which is brilliant, folks. Yeah. Kurt John, he's the chief information security officer over at Siemens. Are you currently hiring? Do you have any openings? Um, we do have your a team.
1: We do have a few openings. People should go to Siemens dot com. Um, just search for careers, and you should see a listing of of job openings there. So if if you're looking to work
0: for a leader, then I think this is the guy to go work with. I think oftentimes when people say, hey, um, how should I pick the next job? And I'm always saying, like, research the chief information security officer, research the leader of that program. And if you can relate to that leader, then apply for the job. And if you can't, then don't. Because... You want the leader to reflect your values, your passion, your commitment to security. Kurt, you've been an unbelievable guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you Uh, so very much for coming on. It's October, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And so, with kind of before we, we sign off, what's your one awareness kind of tip that you tell people?
1: I typically tell people double and triple check. All of your apps and privacy settings, um, because sometimes, so for example, I cleaned up my Mac the other day and I had apps that I haven't used in like two years. Right. Yeah. Which is, is, is horrible. Um, but I haven't used my Mac much, but always double check because you sometimes just like clutter, your stuff just gets cluttered. So check, double check it.
0: It's like shredding, you know, old bills. Yes, exactly. Do, do, do the same thing. Folks, Kurt John, Chief Information Security Office over at Siemens USA. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show. Folks, make sure you subscribe. If you loved this episode of CISO Talk, you can also join the conversation, hashtag CISO Talk on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, you can, um, Kurt's uh, bio and his uh, LinkedIn profile for those non-soliciting salespeople will be at the bottom of this uh, description of this podcast. So if you're listening, just uh, click the description box. You'll see uh, Kurt's bio and get a little bit more background on him. And you'll see his uh, LinkedIn profile there. Um, and for those watching on YouTube, it's right below us right here. So just expand it. That's it for us this week, folks. We'll be back with more episodes of SysaTalk next week. Until then, folks, stay healthy and stay cyber safe.